From the Old City, a practical Torah commentary by Gutman Lodge. Practical Torah means applying the Torah's ancient teachings to our daily lives. This is its ultimate practicality. The Torah has guided the Jewish people for thousands of years. In fact, it is hard to imagine a Jewish people surviving without it. Certainly, the Jews who have cast it aside have few, if any, Jewish descendants. This publication is a collection of comments, explanations, or stories for each of the weekly Torah readings. The common thread running through them is that the Torah is speaking not only of the historical perspective, indeed it is also a history book, but, even more importantly, it is also speaking about each of us today. This timelessness is its true value. It is my prayer that this book will encourage you to apply the practical teachings of the Torah and live the spiritual life that is your true inheritance. When you find it, you will find your path joyful and your life satisfying. Indeed, you will become rich with the most precious things that life has to offer. The Book of Leviticus, Sefer Vikra. Leviticus 1, Vayikra, Animal Sacrifices This week we begin the book of Vayikra. This book is also called the Torah of the Priest, as it deals mostly with the priestly service in the Mishkan and future temples. Whenever the Torah commands sacrifices, it uses only one specific name of God, yud K vav K. This name signifies the attribute of mercy. How can such an apparently cruel thing as slaughtering animals be associated with the attribute of mercy? The obvious answer is that by sacrificing the animal, we are able to be spiritually elevated. When we offer sacrifices, we can be forgiven for our sins, cleansed from spiritual uncleanliness, or we can improve our spiritual lot just by saying thank you to God. Also, the daily communal sacrifices existed to keep us together as a nation. So we see here that God has great mercy for us. But how does that justify the slaughtering of the animals? First, we have to understand animal sacrifices in the context of when they were initially commanded. The first animal sacrifice was commanded to Noah after the flood. Until that time, mankind was allowed to eat only the vegetables, fruits, grains and such. But after the flood, God allowed us to begin to eat animals. This, however, was permitted only on the condition that we would eat them in the proper way. At that stage in history, before the Torah was given, this simply meant that man was not allowed to be cruel to the animals. He was not allowed to eat meat if it was taken from that animal while it was alive. The animal had to have been killed before its meat was taken. Later, when the Torah was given to the Jewish people, the laws regarding sacrifices and eating meat were vastly increased. Why are there so many laws regarding eating meat? Once man was allowed to eat meat... He had the choice to eat it either as an animal eats another animal, by simply tearing off its limb and drinking its blood, or he could make its slaughter a holy sacrifice. 
as a holy service, numerous details had to be prescribed, and the consumption of the sacrifice was highly regulated. Actually, eating meat is the only act that was initially prohibited and then later permitted. Not only did it become permitted, but it became the highest spiritual act we could perform by making an offering in the Mishkan. How can the sacrificing of an animal bring a spiritual elevation? One of the common answers given is that when we offer up an animal and we see it losing its life, we think about God's mercy and forgiveness for taking the life of the animal and not our own. Some say that being offered up spiritually elevates the animal. Others say it is just God's will. Still others say it's impossible to understand. But there's another aspect of the sacrifices that should make a deep impression on us. We see that the animal not only loses its life when it is slaughtered, but its meat must be consumed either by burning on the altar or being eaten by the appropriate people within one or two days. Only its skin survives. Any meat left over on the third day must be burnt. The animal is gone forever. This should remind us that the same fate awaits our bodies too. An animal's skin is its garment. An animal's skin is its garment. Although our skin is one of our garments as well, it is not our most important one. We are more complicated than that. Our major garments are our deeds. Deeds are a garment of the soul. We also learn this during the days of repentance, right before the new year, as we don new clothing to show that we are promising to do new deeds in the upcoming year. So this too can be learned from the animal sacrifices. By three days after they are slaughtered, they are completely gone, except for their skin. And this will be true for us too. A day or two after we die, we will be buried and completely gone from this world, except, that is, for our deeds. They will go on even after we have left. In the world to come, there will be no good deeds to do in order to elevate ourselves. That world is a world without bodies. In order for our souls to be elevated in that entirely spiritual world, the elevation will have to come as a result of something that we did while we were here in this physical world. Obviously, the lesson here is that whatever we want to accomplish in this world and for the next, we better do it while we are here because we are not going to be able to do anything after we are gone. But we learn more than that. The charities that were set up while we were here that still function after we are gone, the people we were able to help who are doing better because of that help even after we leave, and the education we were able to share, all these, and in fact, all of our deeds that still affect the world after we are gone will continue to affect our portion in the next world even after we are gone from this world. A Jewish Table Since this week's portion deals almost exclusively with the temple offerings, which do not take place today, what are we to learn from these sacrifices? As we discussed in the portion Truma, now that the temple no longer exists, our prayers of thanks, blessings, and the customs we perform at our dining room table now fill in for the altar and the sacrifices. 
many of our dining customs today are rooted in ancient Torah practices, to cite a few. The meal offering was an offering of flour and was usually mixed with oil. Offerings, including this one, were always offered with salt. It says, you shall salt your every meal offering with salt. You may not discontinue the salt of your God's covenant from upon your meal offering. Various reasons are given as to why an offering had to be salted. For instance, salt is a preservative, so we're showing that our sacrifice is sincere and lasting. Salt is white, which is considered pure, and salt never loses its flavor. Actually, salt used to be a very valuable commodity. This practice is still maintained today, albeit as a custom and not as an actual law. We are accustomed to dipping our bread in salt before eating it. Another custom is to dip the bread in the salt three times. The reason given is that the gematria, the numerical equivalent of Hashem, equals 26, and the gematria of bread and salt equals three times 26. Number two, another custom at the table that derives from our history is the way we cover the challah, Shabbat bread. When making Kiddush over wine, we cover the challah. The reason given for covering it in the first place is so the bread will not become embarrassed. What this really means is that bread is the staple of a meal. If we put the wine before the bread, as we must do on Shabbat, it seems as if we are disdaining the bread, which we are not. So we cover it regularly instead of seemingly to be embarrassing it. Then, after making kiddush, we uncover the bread, giving it its proper place in full view before saying the blessing for bread. Our Torah-related method of covering the bread is to cover it with two cloths, one below the loaves and one above. The reason for this is that when the manna was given in the wilderness, it was covered with dew both below and above. Why are we strict to use two whole loaves when we eat bread on Shabbat? Some say because we are given the commands to guard and remember. But a more obvious reason is to recall the manna. The manna fell overnight, and each morning we would gather just enough for that day. If we gathered too much, it would invariably rot. We were not allowed to gather on Shabbat, and, in fact, it did not fall on Shabbat. However, on Friday, a double portion fell, and it did not rot. The two loaves remind us of that double portion. 3. Wine was offered on the altar, so it's fitting to use wine to sanctify the day. We hold the Kiddush cup in an unusual manner. First, we fill the cup until the wine overflows. This reflects the words in the Kiddush prayer, My cup is full. Overflowing the cup shows that our cup is indeed full. Wine symbolizes joy in the mystical aspects of Torah, and we are saying that our share of these is overflowing. We hold the cup in the palm of our hand with our fingers cupping the bottom of the cup. Some have the custom of holding it in their fingertips. Why do we hold it this way only for Kiddush and not for any other time we drink? In the Kiddush prayer, this meal is called the meal of a king, and you are sitting in the king's place. Imagine you are a real king, and you wish to have a cup of wine. What would you do? Reach out and take the bottle? No way. Ask the servant for some wine? Never. 
clap your hands so the wine steward would give you the cup? No. You would simply hold out your hand, palm upward, and the wine steward would place the filled cup in your palm. Holding a cup like this shows that you did not pick it up, but like a king, some other hand put it there. 4. Before we can eat bread, we must wash our hands in a specific manner. The Torah's reason for washing the hands the way we do before the meal will be discussed in the portion Mitzorah. The reason we wash our fingertips after eating reminds us of the time when, after a meal, we would eat a bit of salt from Sodom because it was a strong digestive aid. But it was so strong that if it got into someone's eyes, it could cause blindness. So we wash to be sure it's gone. 5. Benching The after-dinner prayers are actually commanded from the Torah itself. It says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, you will bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So many of our customs today are rooted in thousands of years of having a Jewish table. There is one.com.